Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Welcome to episode 129 of the podcast, everybody. Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel with you here. Uh, it feels like a little while since we've done one of these, Andrew. I don't know why. Maybe because last week we shared your wonderful Charlie Duke conversation. Yeah. Um, which yeah. wasn't necessarily... a hard act to follow. Yeah, well, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it feels like it's a little while since you and I have sat here um, and chatted about cars. But that's fine because there's a whole load of stuff. Um, that we yeah. can catch up on. We've had some important new cars arrive in the last couple of weeks, um, and one in particular has leaked. Um, so we'll have a little natter about that. Um, there's some other stuff you want to talk about. Really, we're talking about SUVs in this episode of the podcast. Um, and, and our undying love for them. And our undying love for them, and yes, why everyone should definitely rush out and buy one. Um, but we'll, we'll come to that a little bit later on. Um, first of all, the first thing I want to really get stuck into is um, your most recent Last Blast podcast with Adrian Hallmark. He's the the big boss at Bentley. Um, yeah. And you spoke to him for a good old hour or something on in, in this Last Blast podcast, um, all about his favourite cars, about Bentley, about um, Porsche and Le Mans and why Derek Bell is his hero. So let me just quickly play a very short extract from just that. Before, just before you do, I think... I'm always a bit nervy when we're getting guys like Adrian on, not because of anything to do with Adrian, but because, you know, other last blasters will be designers or engineers or racing drivers, yeah. people who live much more in the sort of public eye. And, and, and the moment you sort of interview someone who kind of wears a suit for a living, you think, oh, this is going to be dry. And mm. Adrian's not like that. Mm. He really, really, really isn't like that. Um, he is as passionate a car guy as you'll ever hear 
you know, on, on any podcast that we ever that we ever broadcast. Um, so, and I kind of knew this in advance, which is why we thought he'd be really, really good, um, mm. and and he was. Yeah, well, I'm glad you said that because you're quite right. Often, you just don't know what you're going to get with these executive types, do you? Um, but it's very telling. I'm not going to give anything away, but it's very telling that he speaks so passionately enthusiastic about Le Mans and about endurance racing. And I actually didn't yeah. know that about him. So let's just play that clip, that, this very short clip briefly now. Here's an idea. Getting back to its roots. We've, the, the product's got fat and flabby. Yeah. And whilst it's okay to have a more comfortable Porsche, uh, you need to give 968 a heart and soul that people look at it and admire it like a 911. And it won't ever be a 911, but it's got to be better than the current 968. Yeah. Take everything out, make as much noise as you can, and make it a track monster. And the guy that ran four-cylinder development, Thomas, I can't remember his surname now, he, I, he was given time with us to define it, respect it. We defined the product uh, characteristics. He developed it six months later, launched it. And, you know, it didn't sell high volumes, but it transformed the image. And at the same time, we got the new 911 coming in, 993, and we just took off. Um, so, yeah, it was... I love crises. I don't like causing them, but the, the opportunity to cut through politics, get it down to simple targets, simple decisions, make lots of them, and get people motivated, that's, I guess that's from racing motorbikes. I love when I'm fueled with adrenaline. The Last Blast podcast is sponsored by Footman James, a car insurance company unlike any other. Footman James exists right at the heart of the car enthusiast scene in the UK, holding regular car meets, publishing reports into the health of the classic car scene in this country, and yes, sponsoring the best car podcast out there. Thank you, Footman James. To find out more, visit footmanjames.co.uk. And I think even from that, you get a sense of what a car guy Adrian Hallmark really is. Now, you're going to have to be a TI subscriber uh, to listen to that episode in full. It's on the Intercooler app. It's on the Intercooler website, the-intercooler.com. Um, so if you haven't signed up already, maybe now is the time to sign up and you can listen to all these lovely Last Blast podcasts. Um, okay, let's move it on a little bit to <laughs> the BMW M2, which uh, seemingly, <laughs> apparently, images of which have leaked in the last few days. Yeah. Um, they've been sh- shared across social media, across the web. Yeah. They're not good pictures. They no. are they are probably phone snaps, aren't they? Yeah. Um, what you <laughs> you shared these images on our uh, on the Intercooler's Twitter account. What was the sort of general consensus? I don't think "general" is the right word to use there. I oh. think the not even overwhelming. I think the uniform oh. consensus is that it looks terrible. I, don't, yeah. I mean, I, you know, it, I mean, the comments have been coming in all the time. I can't say I've been through everyone, but what I can say is that everyone, every single one I read, mm-hmm. was negative, and it just sad, it just saddens me. I mean, I don't usually care too much about the way cars look because I'm just much more interested in the way they drive. But you know, and you know, I don't know whether BMW's current what's the word challenging design language is affecting their sales i mean i am mindful of the fact that you know whenever it was i don't know 20 odd years ago we were all up in arms about chris bangles designs for bmw Mm. um and all that sort of strange surfacing that he did um they've actually weathered quite well 
So, I mean, it may be they're visionaries. It may be they just see stuff that we don't see. It may be that what appeals to their core customers doesn't appeal to us. Uh, You're absolutely right. They're just snaps. So please, let's, you know, wait until we see it in the flesh before, you know, completely writing it off visually. But I don't know. I just... I just think back to all those amazing looking M cars, um, you know, the really beautiful ones like the M635 CSI or just really nicely put together cars like, uh, I don't know, you know, E46s and so on. And it just doesn't need to be like, it's almost like they're being willful. It's almost like they're thinking, okay, let's really generate some heat with this one. Let's put some really, really challenging stuff on it and see what kind of reaction we get. And I just, I just think that BMW M should be bigger than that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and it's funny because the previous m2 is a fantastic looking car it's it's sort of muscular in the right ways but actually quite restrained in its details so it looks brilliant exactly this one oh, as i said they're bad pictures we'll wait and see until we see it properly but it's yeah, not encouraging and, you know, it's going to be no but it's going to be you know there'll be you know rear drive and manual gearboxes and you know all that yeah. sort of thing i mean it could be still wonderful to drive Mm. But if you don't actually really want to be seen in it because people are going to go, what is that? Then it slightly defeats the point. Or, alternatively, we simply don't get the point, which is entirely possible because yeah, I'm no arbiter be. of anything when it comes to beauty. We don't know much else about this car, but um, I was having a conversation with one of our mates, Stephen Doby, a car journalist, um, who did a job with BMW and so he spent some time with one of their engineers. Um, I don't know who it was, but he got a... An amazing quote from this chap who said something along the lines of, yeah, we don't care about weight anymore. He said he was saying explicitly, actually, that weight is no longer a priority for BMW M. Um, now, I'm that? sure that's not an official BMW M party line, but it's come no. from an M engineer. And it stacks up, doesn't it? Because if you look at some of the, the recent M cars, the M3 and M4, they are heavy heavy beasts um mm. and i think the point that this chat was making is that our customers aren't concerned about weight you know and i no. think the example that he gave to Stephen was there was a lightweight stereo option on one of the cars maybe the m2 cs and hardly anyone yeah. had it and so they take that to mean that m customers aren't bothered about weight but also they can see very clearly from what the opposition is doing that they don't care weight about weight either mm. you know yeah. i don't know if this is a good time to start talking about the c63 well let's do it yeah it flows in nicely doesn't it this okay so this is the new c-class um mercedes the amg 63 version thereof the replacement for that wonderful four liter twin turbo v8 car yeah i mean we'll get on to the powertrain in a minute but it weighs 2.1 tons it's a c-class <laughs> a four cylinder one <laughs> It's a four-cylinder C-Class weighing 2.1 tonnes. I mean, of course, yeah. it's got what it's got, 670 horsepower, so it'll do the numbers. And maybe and maybe mm. they're absolutely right. Maybe they just don't care. And as long as they can, you know, do the numbers, you know, and uh, and they have the sort of barroom bragging rights, maybe that's all people care about. Yeah. Maybe they don't care whether their car, you know, sounds like a, you know, a four or a wonderful V8. Maybe they don't care whether their car's light or not, but... You know, I think we, TR, I think all we can do is tell you what we care about. And we do, mm. because we just know how much better cars are. Mm. I mean, yeah, the, 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 the four-cylinder thing, oh, I think it's a terrible, terrible shame the V8 has gone. But I did kind of understand that, because, you know, that's the way the world is going. 
um, but does it really need to weigh 2.1 tons? It, well, just, also, it, just, it just staggers me. Yeah, and it's, it's not as though they've got a whacking great big battery in it. It's a 6 kilowatt hour battery. It's a little ditty thing. So, you know, that will weigh something, but it's, it's not hundreds of kilograms, that battery. And it's not like um, it's buying you, therefore, a 50-mile you know, all-electric range. Presumably it'll do, what, 8 or something? Yeah, it's 8. Eight. eight, eight miles. Mercedes AMG. They say that the, it's not a hybrid for electric only driving. It's a hybrid for added performance. Um, and it go f- okay, fine. So you get an extra two hundred horsepower from the electric motor on the rear axle, um, and with the the turbocharged two liter four cylinder, that produces four hundred and sixty nine bhp. That's a lot of power from a two liter four cylinder, isn't it? Um, so it's an unprecedented so specific output. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's it, it, so the whole powertrain is kicking out, as you said, six hundred and seventy horsepower. Um, and to minimise turbo lag, there's an electric motor that runs off the four hundred volt electrical system to help the turbine yeah. spool up faster. So there is some interesting tech here. There is some interesting yeah, tech, be, here. It, and it will have no turbo lag. It'll go yeah. like an artillery shell. Um, I just wonder, and I should, so I should have done this before I came on, uh, how much heavier it is than a previous C63. I'm going to, you know, it's probably something, it might even be 300 kilos or something yeah. not far off it. I would have thought Almost so. Almost a third of a ton. I'd, I mean, I'd say probably more. Well, I mean, that's just, I just think it's sad because you can do clever stuff with dampers and you can do clever stuff with electrical, you know, support architectures and mitigating roll and... You can, you can do all sorts of things, but what you can't do is make it feel like you can't alter the laws of physics. And a heavy car will always feel like a heavy car. And mm. yeah, and oh, I, you know, I, make a, I could just bang on about it, but you know, I know we, we do this a lot on this podcast, and, and, and it never makes any difference to anything. Why should it? Um, but yeah, it just it just saddens me. It really does. What's curious is that so the E sixty three, its bigger brother. Um, it's been around for a few years now, hasn't it? What's that got? 620 horsepower or something. So this is the C63 has taken a big old stride um, ahead of the E63, which suggests that yeah. the E63 at some point is going to come back with, what, 750 horsepower, something like that? Well, it will do. It will do because, I mean, they've got an 800 horsepower version, of, a hybridized version of yeah. the V8 engine, haven't they? Yeah. Um, so that's the way that it'll go. Um, and that'll add another couple of hundred <sighs> kilos. And, you know, and onward and upwards we go. Um, and you and I and, you know, assorted other idiots in this business sit here and predict that, you know, the power struggle will come to an end and we'll all yeah. wake up and see the light and focus on power to weight ratios rather than just pure power out. But, but the fact is, the truth, the hard truth, you know, the likes of you and I have to face is that it, it's never happened. Yeah. You know, talking about what we're going to be talking about later on, SUVs, I, I have been predicting the death of the SUV for at least 30 years. <laughs> One day I'll yet. be right. Uh, but I probably won't be alive to see it. Um, mm. So, you know, we really are, we're barking at the moon. Um, yeah. You know, it's, and, yeah. and we have to accept that ours is the minority view and that BMW and Mercedes know far better than Andrew and Dan what their customers mm. want. Mm. And, and, and that's an argument, isn't it? I mean, it? Refute the argument, this is what our customers tell us that they want, we're giving it to them. What is wrong with that? They buy our cars as a result. Therefore, yeah. we get to employ tens of thousands of people. Yeah. 
And they, the likes of BMW M and Mercedes AMG, they want to do good volumes, even with uh, the likes of the C63, the likes of the M2. They want those cars to find a big audience. And it might well yeah. be that they have to go after, let's call it the generalist uh, petrol head audience. So those buyers who are interested enough in cars and driving to buy these cars, but are not totally obsessed <laughs> fanaticists like we are, about the finer details. And maybe they've figured out that if you build a car for Andrew or Dan, well, A, Andrew and Dan don't buy it, um, and yes, well, not many other people it's, it's, do it's either. Called, it's called, and maybe this is time to have a conversation about another call, it's called an A110, isn't it? Yeah. So, well, That was a car a built for Andrew and Dan, and look what happened to that. Do you know what? People thought, probably when I sold mine, that would be the end of us banging on about the Alpine A110 on this podcast but just as much as disappears not. yours arrives <laughs> and I've got one coming <laughs> I'm, so, Dan, I, I'm so sorry about this I want to I know you already know about the business cars right and I just want to formally apologize for this it isn't actually technically for TI I, I have I still have a, a, a very small component of my life is spent elsewhere and this is actually for um for autocar but um I'll certainly be talking about it but I do have an A110 coming for um, six months in about three weeks' time, so I, well, I, I won't be um, sort of lording it over you at all. But I, do you know what? It's I'm so looking forward to it. I'm so so yeah. looking forward to it. I know that you know it's five years old now, and it'll be very clunky in certain respects. But what I do know is that every every single journey, even if I just I don't know, pop down to the post box at the bottom of it, it's just gonna it's just gonna feel it's just gonna be a nice journey. You're never yeah. gonna have a bad experience, are you? Well, yeah. you know, better than anyone. So, sorry. Well, that is exactly right. Um, so, what what are you getting? What what spec? What model? Base spec. Uh, well, yeah. they used to call it a pure. They don't now. It's just called an yeah. A110, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely boggo spec. Uh, Alpine blue. Uh, I think it's got reversing cameras on it. I think that's like yeah. the only option. It's absolutely poverty spec. Just what I want. Um, yeah. So similar to mine. That'd be lovely. Apart be lovely. apart from the personal plate. Oh, <laughs> oh it's, has it got an Alpine one on it? It does have a A17 PNE or something like that, yeah. yes. Yeah, they've got yeah. a load of those, haven't they? Oh, well. Yeah, they do. Yes. <laughs> oh, I can't have it all. So, yeah. yeah, but the point being, when someone did come along and build a car for the nerds, for people who really are concerned about feel and weight and all that stuff... Well, it sells well in certain markets, but it it hasn't lit up the sales charts, has it? Um, and well, it, it actually, from, from what I can see on how many left, they've sold 600 in this country since 2018. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. perhaps that's all the evidence and, and, we need to yeah. explain why BMW and Mercedes are taking the route that and, they are. And yet, if you think about all your friends, all the people you know, and people in the industry, which is, in terms of the population of the country, a statistically negligible quantity of people you know about you know a lot of where where a lot of a110s are which just Mm. means that they are built by you know by people like us and you know we're not normal clearly Mm. well people people would just if you're going to spend 50 grand in a car people would just rather have a porsche badge on the nose um you know particularly when if you spend 50 grand on a cayman you're getting a great car no two mm. ways about it. You know, yeah. you're going to get a mid-engine two-seater. Uh, one's a strange thing called an Alpine, and the other's a Porsche. Go figure. Mm. And that's it. Yeah, isn't it? I don't think that it really often adds up to much more than that. It's a very yeah. simple thought decision-making process. The Alpine is a slightly contrarian choice, really. And, you know, when, when I had mine and delivery drivers would come along and knock on the door, they'd always say, what's that then? 
and I'd have to say it's an Alpine, it's part of Renault. And that's not as glamorous, is it, as someone saying, nice Porsche. Um, no, and so people I still don't understand. even know what it is. And, yeah. and that's the fear, isn't it? You don't want to spend 50 grand on a new car and then have to explain to your mates what it is. And then mm. when you explain to your mates what it is, you have to say, well, actually, it's a Renault. No disrespect yeah. for Renault, yeah. but, you know, Renaults aren't 50 grand cars, are they? No. No. Well, there we go, yeah. It's, this is the way the, the sort of performance car sector is going, isn't it? And yeah. it's only going to happen more as we switch to full electrification. Cars are going to be heavier. Cars are going to... Their, their trick, their one trick is going to be massive power. Um, so we better sort of expect more of this sort of thing. Um, yeah. Okay. You wanted to talk briefly about a very different sort of car. A little MG, a little electric MG, the MG4. Yeah, okay, so I'm not going to dwell on this, but only because if you'd said to me at the beginning of this year that as the year gets towards its end, the most surprising car you would drive all year would be a cheap Chinese electric hatchback, I would I'd have given you a very strange look. I just, you know, I wouldn't have even been on my radar. But um, I sent a thing called the Car of the Year jury, which means I have to drive everything that comes in on sale. Uh, and an MG4, the new MG4, turned up. I didn't think too much about it until I got in and drove it. I just suddenly thought, shit, hmm. it's fantastic. Fantastic by the, in the context of the class that it's in, and the class that it in is defined by the Volkswagen ID3. It's the same size as an ID3. It has the same power as an ID3. It's aimed squarely at the ID3. But it's just better. It's better to look at. It's better to drive. It's massively cheaper. It's better. I mean, the most expensive MG4 you can buy costs, I think, £5,000 less than the least expensive ID3 you can buy. It's a big And it's just a better car. Wow. Um, It is a big difference. And where MG have been so clever is, you know, we saw it with the Japanese brands in the 70s and the 80s. And then we saw it with the Korean brands in the... Uh, in the 90s and the noughties that you know they, they they come in on a sell them cheap stack them high basis and then slowly over the time as they establish market presence and credibility the cars get better and better and better and they learn how to do it and then they bugger off and now we're paying you know the same sort of money for you know electric Kias and Hyundai's that you would do for the best of the European opposition um, and the Japanese have been that way for a long time and so They've all vacated that area. MG have come in. They're the Brit- Britain's fastest growing. I'm sounding like I'm being paid by them to say this. I'm not. But they are Britain's fastest growing brand. Um, and they've done that with some fairly worthy but not exactly brilliant product. And now, but you know, there's a marketplace for it because times are tough and people understand what value is more than anything. And now they've come in with this car, which has just knocked it out of the park. Um, Bravo. And I think I mean, they're going to, you know, seven-year warranty. Um, yeah. Looks really good. For an electric car, it's... You know, it's really very good to drive. You can feel that it's just been set up by people who, you know, who understand and care. And mm. I'm not saying it's going to, you know, blow the doors off a 911 or, or anything like it, because it's clearly not. But for a little family electric hatchback, for the money, I was amazed. I was absolutely amazed by it. So, you know, fair play to MG. Um, you know, the car was designed both in the UK and in China. It's built entirely in China. Um, but they've done, they've done an absolutely cracking job for it. And the real worry for companies like Volkswagen is this is the first car on the MG's new platform, which is completely mm. modular. So they can make a car even smaller than MG4 or one that has got almost the same wheelbase as an S-Class Mercedes. It's that flexible. Cool. Wow. So they can, they can turn what they've bought to anything. And, you know, and, and clearly Volkswagen can with its uh, electrical platform too. But, you know, already... MG are doing a better job for less money. 
And if that doesn't wake him up, I'm not quite sure what will. That's extraordinary, isn't it? That really is mm. extraordinary. Yeah, and you wonder what... We know that VW CEO has been shown the door relatively recently. He has. Yeah. So, okay. Let's not get stuck into that. Um, no. <clears throat> okay. So there's another new car, another new car that we should be talking about. Again, a very different kind of one. Ferrari. It's a Ferrari. It's a oh, Ferrari. I'm How so exciting. looking forward to you pronouncing its, its name. Puro Sangue. Puro Sangue. <laughs> I'm sure you it's reckon? supposed to be pronounced with a, an Italian accent, but... Puro Sangue. That's what people are going to say, isn't it? To me, it sounds French. Pure song. That's yeah. That's how. Yeah, but it clearly isn't because it's an Italian. The, yeah, the Italians pronounce the way on the end. Yes, puro sangue. Puro sangue. Yeah. Do you know what? There's some interesting stuff going on there. I, I, maybe I wasn't paying attention, but I was surprised when they said it had the V12. Um, yeah. The NA V12, 715 horsepower. So. That does make it quite different to some of the other cars in that class. Yeah, but um, it'll be a top-down launch, though, won't it? You know, yeah, they, so the you always you, you, you always launch with a big gun first, don't you? Because frankly, that's where the margin is, and that's where the news is, and that's where you get your presence. Um, and then the you know the V8s will come, uh, and the V6, I've no doubt, they'll, they'll have both engines in it. So you can have a 12 in the Bentley, can't you? The Bentayga, the Cullinan is a 12. Not anymore. Oh, you can't. You could have a 12 in the Bentayga, but it's gone, and it will go very shortly. Oh. Uh, from okay. all Bentleys. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, the W12 is, it, it's, it's extremely numbered because not that Bentley would ever admit to this, but the V8, the Audi V8 um, hybrid engine, which you can already get in various Porsches, um, is on its way. I'm sure. So I'm told. Not by people and mm. anybody at Bentley, but that is my, that is my every understanding. Okay. Uh, and that will replace the W12. Okay. So there have been, or there are a couple of other big SUVs with 12 cylinders, but the Pure Sangue is the only NA one. So it's going to be a fairly extraordinary thing. 715 horsepower, high revving V12 in a car that size. It's got those curious suicide rear doors, kind of like the Mazda RX-8. Yeah. We think it's going to cost, for this top spec model, close to £400,000. Ferrari know how to charge for a car, don't they? They're um, punching, aren't they? They are really punching with that. It's massive money. It's about I'm it, for it. Good luck to them, you know. Yeah, if, why not? If, if, if the people, if, if they all pay that, then, you know, and that's, you know, nearly 400, that's before anybody, and we all know, we've all had, you know, some of the greatest fun and games that we have in this business is playing about with Ferrari options lists. Yeah. And once <laughs> you've got your carbon fibre boot lining and your Ferrari yeah. shield on the side and your carbon fibre engine covering it, I mean, blimey. Half a million. Make proper money out of that. And they'll sell, they'll sell so many of them. Yes, exactly. They'll sell as many as they can build. Um, yeah. So it's comfortable. I do, I, sorry, do, do you not worry a bit about, I suppose people just won't care, will they? Because again, you and I are thinking about it objectively and in terms of just what the driving experience is going to be like. And everybody else just thinks it's a V12. But a nat- an, an NAV12 and a big heavy SUV mm. doesn't strike me as being a marriage made in heaven. Because mm. what what do you need for a big heavy SUV? You just need torque. You need torque. Yeah. yeah. You just need torque. You need lots and lots of torque. You need a twin turbo V8, frankly. Um, luckily, they have one of those. I'm sure that'll be coming along. So, I mean, I'll wait until I, I see it, uh, it, it and drive it if I'm asked to drive it. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how they've um, responded to that challenge. Mm. Can you imagine the fuel consumption when you're moving along a little bit 
It's not going to be well, mega, gonna, is it? It's going, it's, going to be, it's going to be single digits, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. So it's, what's striking is that it is pretty much double the price of the Aston Martin DBX 707 with very similar power. Um, wow. So Ferrari, they really, they're wow. not shy. They are not shy. But that's the strength of, that's, that is the strength of yeah. the brand. Yeah. They can do that now. Mm. And, you know, and to be fair to Ferrari, how have they been able to do that? Well, you know, it's basically on the back of whatever it is, 70 years of making, or 75 years of making, largely speaking, absolutely brilliant motor cars. Yeah. Um, and by marketing them really well. And, you know, they, they are just so desirable. And people won't care, you know, even if the Puro Sangue is only as good as a DBX 707. That way, mm. make people think, oh, well, hang on, well, I can spend half the money and get an Aston. They just want a Ferrari, don't they? They want the Ferrari SUV because yeah. they want the Ferrari of SUVs yeah. and nothing else will do. So that's all they'll stump up. And Ferrari don't need to and will not build 20-odd thousand of these a year. It'll be single-digit thousands, won't it? Probably. Um, yeah. And so yeah. there'll be enough customers out there who are prepared to pay that money. The car mm. also has these really amazing-sounding Multimatic dampers which can exert a force back onto the wheel rather than just absorb a force. So yeah. more, and more than just have um, adaptability, so you know, changing the viscosity of the fluid to give different levels of damping force, it, it can actually force the wheel back down again. Um, so it's active. So it's really active, yeah. It's not, so it's, it, yeah. yeah, well, it's, it's proactive not, rather than reactive. That's right, yeah. And it means yeah. there are no anti-roll bars. Um, yeah. So it's a trick bit of technology. So it's actually to... it's very clever, isn't it? Because yeah. they've only been able to do that hitherto with um, with electronically controlled anti-roll bars. Yeah. Um, so you get rid of those. I mean, that's clever. And that's just the sort of tech that you can just see in time trickling down and spilling out all over the place, can't you? You can. Yeah, you can. But again, do you remember when we spoke about the 812 Competizione, which has the asymmetric rear axle steering? And it's the only car yes. so far that can yeah. adjust the rear wheels individually. Again, this is what Ferrari can do when it's got all that credibility. It makes enormous amounts of money, fantastic resource. They can, mm. but they also, but most they, can they make amazing, they make amazing cars, yeah. don't they? I mean, that's the thing. You yeah. know, they absolutely deliver. Um, and you know, you and I have sat befuddled in more than enough Ferrari press conferences. <laughs> and seeing the detail in which they go into and the systems they have on these cars. And it is absolutely, I mean, the engineering capability of that company is mm. absolutely extraordinary. And so, I mean, and what pleases me about that is it's not as if Ferrari are just all image, image, image. You know, people, you know, the, the cars aren't that great, but because they've got, yeah. you know, they've got a horsey on the side, people go and buy them. They are fantastically engineered cars. They do what Ferrari claims. They're every bit as good as Ferrari claims them to be. Um, whereas other, you know, marks with, you know, amazingly vaunted names, sometimes the product is, doesn't live up to the name. Well, Ferraris mm. always do. And mm. that's how you get to charge £400,000 for an SUV. <laughs> well, hopefully we'll drive it soon and we'll tell you a bit more about it. Ferrari doesn't call it an SUV. Um, of course not. Of course not. What is it? I don't know what they do say, actually. It's a new they... class of car which has no rivals, but it's better than all its rivals. <laughs> That's very Ferrari. Um, and so as we 
carry on talking here about SUVs. We are, it's a, we're using it as a very broad sort of all-encompassing term. It's a useful catch-all phrase, really, for tall 4x4 vehicles. Um, for instance, a Range Rover. It's not really an SUV, is it? But um, I think for the purposes of this discussion, let's all just accept that the Puro Sangue is an SUV. The Range Rover is an SUV. Some little VW crossover thing, it's an SUV. We're just, for the sake of argument, we're just using that term for all these different kinds yeah. of cars. Um, yeah. And I think I just wanted us to spend 20 minutes, 25 minutes, just sort of figuring out where we as TI stand on SUVs. Um, and for also, and broaden it out a little bit, is it right, is it possibly defendable that they are, it's right that they are vandalised, that their tyres are let down, that people are demonised for driving them? Um, what do you sort of instinctively feel about SUVs? Are you dead against them or do you understand their purpose? I, th- I think, honestly, I think it's like going, to so- going up to someone and saying, what's America like? Hmm. You know, when you say what's America like, what are you talking about? You're talking about the Deep South, you're talking about San Francisco. You're talking about the Midwest, you're talking about New England. Hmm. I mean, there are countries and countries and countries within that country, and there are SUVs and there are SUVs and there are SUVs. And I, and, and I know that it is convenient to sort of blanket them all together um under this title because they're a bit higher and they look yeah. like they might just about go off road if you ask them to and that sort of thing but uh, to me so I mean, it's such it's it's an almost impossible question to answer but fundamentally you know I, I am someone who inclines towards cars that are fit for purpose i.e. they have a specific job to do and they do it better than anything else which is why you know if you take something like, I love a Defender, mm. yeah? Because to me, a Defender is designed to be, whatever else it does, it's designed to be as good as anything that's out there off-road, and it is. But I love caterums. I love, I love little smart cars. I love anything, you know, and I love, you know, the McLaren F1 or Ferrari F40, anything that is good at the job it's designed to do. And the problem, where, I, where it starts to become problematic to me is where you start to have cars, and this is why I really, really struggle with those sort of crossovers um the compact crossover suv which doesn't even attempt to be good at anything at all but just it's a box ticking exercise you just Mm. need to have just enough of everything um and that's somehow okay and it's just not to me it's just i mean i just think to myself when i see these cars go and buy an estate car or buy a proper off-roader or just buy a saloon or a hatchback go and get you know whatever um and those are the cars that i really struggle with i struggle actually less um with the big expensive stuff and i don't i mean i'm not really sure why that is you know if you take i don't know a porsche cayenne of course it's not going to be as good to drive as a panamera um but you know i i do know that people like the the imperious driving position they have a certain look um you know they can tow stuff um, they have a purpose, um, and uh, in answer to your other question about whether it is okay for people to go around vandalising them, absolutely not, absolutely mm. not. These things are legal; they're on sale. You know, nobody has a right to vandalise somebody else's property. Um, it's absolutely outrageous. Now, you know, should these cars be used primarily in towns 
um, for posing about? Uh, absolutely not. And you know, there are measures in place, and governments and councils do this. Um, so there are you know low emission zones and so, and so on and so forth. Um, but there's a huge leap, isn't there, between saying that's probably pretty appropriate to have in, in a town to I am so offended as an individual who's not been democratically elected by anyone that I feel, therefore, I have the right to damage it. You know, mm. come on. Mm. No, of I'm, course. You know, you know, there, are all, there, there are all sorts of things which go on in this world which I don't much like. But I'm a libertarian. I, you know, I just don't believe in, you know, unless they are truly awful, mm. I think people should be allowed to get on and live the lives they want to live. Um, and if yeah. you as a government don't like that, then you have measures. You can ban them or you can make them very expensive. You can tax them. There are all sorts of things you can do. But, you know, that's down for governments. Um, and governments mm. get voted in by, by the people. And, you know, nobody has the right to take the law into their own hands. Mm. I wonder, it, Well, no, I, I, I agree with every word. And I wonder if, in to some degree, this whole vandalising of SUVs, and it does happen, we do see them keyed, um, also, I, I know they're active in Bristol. It might be a, a nationwide thing. It might be an international thing. But there's a group called the Tire Extinguishers, and they at night yeah. they go around and let down the tires on SUVs. Um, in yeah, protest. Well, that's great until until you know um, there's some emergency. Yeah. yeah? Um, or even simple stuff like people can't get their children to school, um, or. Yeah. Um, you know, people maybe don't realise, and so they're going to have an explosive deflation at high speed. Mm. Um, and even if it flags up on the dashboard, how many times have you had things flagged up on the dashboard and you think, oh, that can't be a problem. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's the dashboard, not the car. I mean, brilliant, fantastic. So you only need that to go really, really badly wrong once. And, you know, you can't do that. Mm. You, just you can't just can't. decide... You can't just decide what I think is right and therefore what everybody else thinks or even one other person thinks is therefore wrong despite the fact that it's entirely legal and therefore I feel so strongly about that. That gives me the right to go and potentially ruin someone's life or just destroy their car or just really, really damage their car. Hmm. Sorry, it's not on. It's not on. And what is it that they're protesting? I think it's the... Um, you know, bigger, heavier cars, less streamlined cars do emit more emissions. That's true. Um, they are worse in an accident for other road users, um, whether yeah. passengers in other cars or or pedestrians or cyclists or whatever. Um, and this is what this is what they're so offended by, isn't it? Um, yeah, and and I, and I I understand all of that. I actually yeah. agree with a great deal of it. You know, mm. if you're not going to use an SUV for any of the purposes for which it is designed, then you probably shouldn't be in one. They are heavy, they are profligate, they are wasteful of the world's resources when you build them, and they're wasteful of the world's resources when you use them. Um, and so unless you've got a reasonably good excuse for doing that, you shouldn't be doing it. It's as simple as that. But, you know, that doesn't, that's just my opinion. That's just me. I can't mm. say, therefore, you know, I'm going to go around and, you know, let down the tires of every SUV I see. I mean, it's just... You know, it's just it, to me. We live in a democracy, and so much of what we talk about is so rarely a question of right or wrong. It's just a question of one person's opinion versus another, and one is no more valid than somebody else's. Um, so you can't do it. Mm. They're also SUVs. You know, the more expensive ones in particular are often viewed as a display, a slightly grotesque display of wealth. And so, yep. I also wonder if this is is in some ways for some people a kind of proxy for a 
certain type of class warfare. Um, yeah. But pff, whatever. I mean, there's no justifying it, is there? It's, it's lamentable behaviour. Um, and the fact is, there are often reasons for choosing a car like that. You know, some of them do have seven seats. There aren't too many other cars that will seat seven. Some of them do have genuine off-road ability, and there are plenty of us who do need that kind of car. Um, it's. I mean, and, sh- sh- should you be allowed to attack someone for smoking a cigarette because you know yeah. that person is much more likely to develop lung cancer and then spend you know years costing taxpayers money on the NHS as a result? Mm. Um, you know, cigarettes are really, really bad. Um, people smoke them; they cost the, the NHS a huge amount of money. So they should be taught a lesson they'll never forget. Is that acceptable? Mm. <laughs> is that a speechless argument? Not. I'm not sure, but you know, you can't <laughs> yeah. take the law into your own hands. You know, no. I mean, ultimately, if you don't like the society you live in, go and live in another one. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there we go. So. What about then, um, let's forget all that stuff for now. What about performance SUVs? So the Puro Sangre is clearly one of those. The Urus, the DBS. <laughs> Sorry, I can't start laughing about the name of that car. <laughs> what is funny about Puro Sangre? I don't know, but it's, it just seems, yeah. It does seem daft, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Wh- where do you stand on performance SUVs? Well, I, I, some of them, and I've driven... Uh, you know DBX and that it is freakishly agile that thing the Porsche for KM, the kind of car that it is yeah turbo GT it's unbelievable how flat that thing corners the grip it produces yeah. how balanced it feels the performance of that thing is staggering yeah. for that type of car for that um, type of car and that's the point yeah and the, my it's problem what, with it, them is you know with all the technology they, they chuck at them these days um, most obviously now the Puro Sangue with its multimatic dampers, but you know they all tend to have those 48 volt active anti roll bars. They all have torque yeah. vectoring. They all have air springs that they can do funky things with. Um, you know yeah. they they've they're loaded with technology to make them handle like lower lighter cars, but they are not lower lighter cars. And the issue for me is that you can make one really thump its way down a road at staggering speed, but they're not fun to drive. No. They're not fun to drive because they're too heavy. They're too tall. They're too big. And so I, I, if I had to have one of these SUVs, I would rather have a less powerful, more comfort-oriented model within that range. Maybe even a plug-in one with some electric-only range. Um, because for me, performance SUVs are just fundamentally at odds with themselves. They are the wrong starting point for a performance car. I, yeah, I, I struggle to disagree with any of that. Uh, I, for me, they're what I call qualification cars um, because they are amazing for the kind of car that they are. Yeah. But you cannot say they're amazing without qualifying it yeah. by saying for the kind of car they are. Because, you know, a Cayenne, a Cayenne GT may be you know, unbelievably agile by the standards of a two and a bit ton SUV, but by the standards of the cheapest, meanest Cayman, it's an elephant. Um, yeah, it can't get out of it the same way, and you know, and, and I think that we always, you know, we always have to couch it in those terms. At the same time, cars exist in categories, and we compare cars to other cars in their categories, um, and and occasionally, you know, surprising stuff happens. The DBX seven hundred seven, when I drove that, you know, I approached that fair in a fairly cynical state of mind, thinking, well, this is just going to be a blood and thunder point and squirt machine, and it wasn't. 
Mm. It's quite quiet. It still rides really well. Um, and, you know, that enormous power reserve is there. It can get you down a road at a startling rate. But it's completely unobtrusive. And if you don't use it, you, won't, you, you don't even know about it because, you know, it hasn't been compromised in the way that these cars often get compromised, particularly in things like um, ride and refinement. So, you know, I was very impressed by that because I thought it was a very thoughtful, clever um, addition to the range. But I say all that in the context of what it remains to be at a, you know, two and a bit ton SUV. And I'm not going to start comparing it to, you know, um, a high performance saloon because you're an estate car because, you know, there's no comparison to be made. You'll always go for the lower, lighter, more engaging, uh, more drivable car. Mm. Yeah, except that there aren't too many of those around. No, you know, they're dying you, green. They've been killed off by the SUVs. Yeah, if, if that's right. If you, if, you are, if you want an SUV, you are spoilt for choice, almost regardless of how much money you've got to spend. Mm. Um, if you would rather have a fast estate car, there aren't too many of those. Um, no. If you'd rather have, you know, even if you want an electric car, so many of them are SUV style, aren't they? Um, I think it's only MG that makes an electric estate car. So that really isn't Maybe. a thing in this country, you know. So let me ask you a question. Mm. Um, when our esteemed contributor, Peter Robinson, sat down with um, the very great Luca de Montezemolo yeah. um, and interviewed him for the intercooler, um, which you can find on our website and app. Um, you know, one of the things that Luca said was, A, you know, he was never a fan of the idea of Ferrari doing an SUV, but even if it did, he wouldn't have wanted to be last to market with it. Um, you know, because Ferrari should lead rather than follow. And, you know, they were pretty much last to market. I mean, if you think of, you know, Lamborghini and Bentley and Aston Martin and all the others, um, you know, the ultra high performance luxury SUV has been a thing for some time. So my question is, uh, I also, I sat down with a chap called Michael Leiters the other day, who's Mm. the ex-Ferrari technical bloke um, who would have developed the Puro Sangue. Uh, and led that car's design. He is now the boss of McLaren, um, and McLaren are quite clearly going to do an SUV. So you're Michael Leiters, okay? Uh, everybody else has already got their car in the market, and you're McLaren, okay? You, your, exist, your reputation exists on, you know, making lightweight, ultra-dynamic cars, to the exception of almost everything else. You are so narrowly defined. And yet, you find yourself in a commercial position where you simply have to have an SUV because the volumes are so great and the margins are so great and because your business, frankly, is in a spot of bother. Um, That's what's going to get you out. What do you do? What do you create? You know, I don't know. (sighs) How do you... (sighs) Yeah, I'm I'm stumped by this question, and it's you know Lotus are in a similar position, um, and we know they're going. They've got the their first SUV coming, and it's a fully electric one. So they've just. I wonder if they've not bothered themselves with these old Lotus principles of light weighting and so on, and they've just said, let's just build uh, a fast SUV that's going to be popular in the market and get it out there because that will shore up our business. Um, and maybe McLaren just needs to be ruthless and just do the same thing. Um, I'm not saying it's electric, but 
Can it possibly have carbon fibre construction? I think it Don't probably know. could. I mean, I think the answer, um, and, you know, I think what we also need to bear in mind is that Michael Leiters was responsible not only for the Pura Sangue, but much earlier in his career for a car called the Porsche Cayenne. Yeah. And if you, the Cayenne, to me, is the example, because there you had Porsche, which up until that date had only ever made small sporting two, two plus two seats, um, two door coupes and roadsters. And then suddenly out of nowhere, they do a turn a bit ton, massive SUV with absolutely no attempt to keep the weight down at all. And that didn't exactly do badly for them, did it? You know, um, that car, the Cayenne, sparked a revolution at Porsche, which turned it ultimately from being a very, very troubled niche manufacturer to being, per unit, the most profitable car manufacturer on earth. Um, And I suspect that's what Leiters will do. I think he will take the view um, that people will want a McLaren sufficiently um, that they'll just buy it. And... Mm. You know, they'll want to be sufficiently associated with that brand. And I think he will. I think it will still need to be and have to be the lightest, most dynamic car of that kind that there has ever been. But as long as it ticks all the other boxes, um, then that's fine. I think the problem he faces is, you know, with little McLaren, which is, you know, independent. How on earth is he going to do it on his own? He's not. He clearly isn't going to be able to do it on his own, even though Aston Martin managed to do it somehow with a DBX. Um, albeit using a lot of Mercedes-Benz technology. So I think that McLaren is going to need at least a technology partner who's going to provide a platform. But if they're providing a platform, then there aren't no carbon fibre... No. They aren't now, I'm so sorry. <laughs> there aren't any um, SUV carbon fibre platforms out there. So maybe no. it's not going to be carbon, which you know gives up you know every single McLaren road car that has ever been built has been built on a carbon fibre tub. So is that going to go out the window too? could do who knows it could do but i mean there'll be so many people saying that no mclaren shouldn't build an suv because it's a it's always been a supercar manufacturer and it should stay yeah, true to its but principles that's not the point it's not the point the choice is not between mclaren building an yeah. suv and mclaren not building an suv the choice is between mclaren building an suv and no mclaren yeah it's I not do. a you know a sustainable business just making no. mid-engine two-seat supercars. No, we know that. We've seen that. And yeah. I've, I've long thought that not building the kind of car that will probably shore up your business and perhaps make it profitable is a bit like, I don't know, it's like being on a sinking ship and saying as you go down, but I was true to my principles, glug, 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 glug. You know, that's yeah, fine. Fine. But now you're you know, finished. Have that announced <laughs> at your funeral. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, t- okay, so um, tomorrow... Uh, so we're recording this on Monday, so tomorrow is Tuesday the 27th, uh, and we'll talk about this next week um, if we can. We might actually need to delay the broadcast of the podcast for a day or so because there's an embargo on this car uh, of October 5th. But anyway, um, I'm driving the new GT3 RS, okay? It might be rubbish. I suspect it probably won't be, but who knows? We're mm-hmm. just going to it with an open mind. Um, but, you know, all those Porsche GT cars, and I've yeah. made this point before, so I won't labour it, they are as brilliant as we've always said that they'd be, because Porsche has had an awful lot of money to develop them. And it is that fantastically synergistic relationship between people wanting to buy Porsche SUVs because they want some of the stardust sprinkled by the, you know, the 911s and that sort of thing. You know, they, they want that to rub off on them. And then buying SUVs and the, and the money that then provides allowing Porsche to make cars like the 911 even better and better and better. And that's mm. the relationship. That is the, that is the magic 
Um, and, you know, and, and that is, I guess, where McLaren needs to find itself. It, you know, it needs to reproduce that model um, and hope that it works for them as well as it worked for Porsche. Indeed. I do wonder how big that sector is, how many buyers there are. I mean, it seems like it's fairly bottomless, but it would be a shame, wouldn't it, if they built this thing and found out that the market was saturated and... Well, I mean, it has to be an EV. I think doing developing from scratch now, because, I mean, you know, they it's are late, absolutely from scratch. I mean, they haven't got anything other than some ideas at the moment, is my understanding. Mm. So if you just think about the amount of time, it, the amount of time it would take a company like McLaren to develop that car, doing anything other than an EV would be, frankly, insane. So yeah. I mean, they haven't told me that, but it will be an EV because it has to be an EV. And so that gives them an opportunity because there aren't any other luxury... Um, do you remember Lagonda? Aston Martin were going to do this with Lagonda. Yeah. Lagonda was going to become a luxury electric EV manufacturer and blow Rolls Royce out of the water. Well, that's you know that project has been kicked either into the long grass or you know off the edge of the field altogether. Um, so there is an opportunity um, to do it and to do the McLaren of SUVs of, of, of electric SUVs, and you know they are pretty good. Those guys, they you know they do know what they're doing. So you know I mm. think that there is a lot to play for. Um, and I think that they can refute the suggestion that they're last to market with it by saying, no, absolutely not. We may be last to market with a luxury SUV, but we're first to market with a luxury EV SUV, which is a completely different thing. Mm. And mm. and it is. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. Well, well, there we go. Yeah. I'd love to know what people think of all this stuff. I mean, would you rather that the likes of Ferrari, Aston, McLaren, Lamborghini only built a certain type of car or do you recognize that their businesses they they exist ultimately to make money and they do have to do that and suvs give them um the, a sort of a fairly surefire way of making money um Absolutely. it's an interesting discussion isn't it um okay well let me just run through um my calls to action so please do rate and review the podcast i can see you all doing it and it makes a big big difference so please do that um, subscribe and follow uh, wherever you listen to the podcast um, again that helps us find a bigger audience means we can do more with the podcast um, and check out the intercooler it's the-intercooler.com our website has been up for almost three months now um, people seem to like it it's going well we've published I hope some really good stories on there so you can go and start your free trial now at the-intercooler.com um, we won't do a listener question this week because it's been a very busy show, but please get your listener questions in um, and we'll end next week's podcast with one of those. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, 
Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.